Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Social media, I believe, is, is like your virtual storefront. You wouldn't ask somebody whether a storefront and a consumer coming into their store and asking questions and engaging with the product or the brand or the, or the store experience is driving the business. And I don't ask the same question of social media because if somebody is there to be part of my community, I think that it's value add to maintain that one-to-one dialogue. It's never a one-size-fits-all approach. It's really about understanding who your consumer is. Our consumer, because it happens to be a Gen Z consumer, lives a good portion of their lives on social media. And so that's where a lot of the magic happens with respect to our commerce driving abilities. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. So Rachel, one of the first things that happened once I started working from home was my husband was overhearing a lot of my work conversations, and he was getting very irritated about how corporate I speak. And I tend to pride myself on one, like being one of these people that actually speaks in pretty plain English. What bothered him? The hard stop? It could have been the hard stop. I never say synergy or leverage or any of that crap. So I don't know what it was, but to him, I sounded so corporate. And it's funny because at work, people are like, I really like how you speak in just plain English and you kind of cut through the crap, but everything's about perspective, you know? A hundred percent. I mean, your husband is a, he's a school teacher, right? He's an English teacher. So he does speak in plain English and he is speaking to teenagers all day long who probably are not speaking the same version of English. They're speaking Gen Z English, which is a bit different. So what has he observed in terms of their language? I mean, (laughs) it's funny because sometimes he like devolves into their language and then I don't understand what the hell he's saying. And then I say, you have to speak in plain English, but you know, it, it could be anything reference points. He was on Snap before most adults were on Snap and after most adults left Snap, TikTok, like he's, he's more of an early adopter, I think, but for the purposes of relating to his audience, if you will, mm-hmm. in a sense, he's a marketer. I mean, probably one of the best out there. You know, it's interesting. Last night I was, I was having dinner with a bunch of Gen Zers, my girlfriend's cousins, and 20 minutes of the conversation was about NFTs. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, wow, this generation is so smart. If they're the next greatest shareholders, the amount of accountability that we're going to have to Gen Z is tremendous. Well, as long as they put some money into social security, (laughs) I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. The the knowledge of NFTs, even my 19 year old son is talking about that. And I was not that financially literate. No, it's just, it's wild. But then here we are, you know, I, I remember being the millennial that got hired. Now I'm the old lady that Gap once hired. Um, The Gap? What's the Gap? Actually, no, Gen Z is all about the Gap. It's all 90s all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, but here we are. And it's, it's just so funny because, you know, you and I deeply know this. If you want to reach 
your target customer, you need to make sure that your team internally is reflective of that target customer. I'm curious, like how many of the people that we brought onto the show, what generationally does their marketing team skip or even their product development team? How do they skip? I think that's a great point. There's a lot to be said about a marketing team that actually takes ideas from everywhere. And they always say like, oh, good ideas can come from anywhere. But then if you have that language barrier, that doesn't necessarily work. One of the things that I think is so cool about EOS is how they legitimately listened to their audience everywhere they were and responded in kind to speak their language back to them, not just to understand, but to speak back. It has really proven not just the importance of speaking your audience's language, but also doing it where they are and on their terms. Well, I can't wait to figure out how EOS is doing this. Let's bring Soyoung to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me on. I'm really honored. One of the things that that we don't get to talk about nearly as much, but is extremely relevant for today's episode is social commerce. And does it really work? So much of what we talk about in e-commerce is the bits and bytes of it all, but not around like, how do you actually connect the dots between something that inspires purchase and then see it all the way through? I think you've got a couple of really good stories to share with us about what works and what doesn't. But for all the marketers out there that believe that social doesn't sell, what do you say to them? I don't even know what that means that social doesn't sell. I, I I think that when you're a part of a brand where social media is so much the heart and soul of everything that you're thinking about across, you know, how you connect with your consumer, how you answer their questions, how you engage them day to day in conversations and, and maintain a part of their lives outside of a just maybe a conventional paid ad ecosystem. It's such a core part of what we do that when when I do get that question and I and I get it sometimes about, you know, does social actually work? I'm sort of like a little bit taken aback because I've never thought that it couldn't work. To me, social media is media. And since, since the beginning of time, I think everybody's always wondered, like, how do you how do you measure the effectiveness of your media in a way that is definite? For me, it's not just that social media is a form of media, which is undeniable, but that the fact that added onto that, it's also community, it's engagement. It is a way to have conversations with our consumer on a day-to-day level. It's our storefront. Social media, I believe, is, is like your virtual storefront. You wouldn't ask somebody whether a storefront and a consumer coming into their store and asking questions and engaging with the product or the brand or the, or the store experience is driving the business. And I don't ask the same question of social media because if somebody is there to be part of my community, I think that it's value add to maintain that one-to-one dialogue. I very much think of marketing as being an entire toolkit. Social media happens to be a large part of ours. It's never a one-size-fits-all approach. It's really about understanding who your consumer is, where are they living their day-to-day lives. Our consumer, because it happens to be a Gen Z consumer, lives a good portion of their lives on social media. And so that's where a lot of the magic happens with respect to our commerce driving abilities. So um, obviously, I'm in complete agreement with everything that you just said, given that I built a business off of that same premise. But um. I have found that a lot of times you get pushback from marketers when they have these archaic media mix models that just overvalue things like television. I know you know, in your past jobs, you were working for you know, folks like the Bath and Body Works. Like, did you ever have to navigate that and, and change finance's perception of social? 
No. And and I say that because I do actually have a fairly unconventional background for where I am today in that even when I was with Bath and Body Works, there wasn't actually a lot of conventional media that we ran. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a brand that actually was heavily on TV. Maybe the sister, the sister brand was, but they themselves weren't. I know, Rachel, in your background, you also worked in, in the retail world, in the specialty retail world. And sometimes when you come out of the specialty retail world, you really value the ability to have one-on-one dialogue and the notion of customer service. And really thinking about social media as a form, not only of commerce and marketing, but as customer service, I think gives you a, a, a better sense of the, the total holistic value of social media that goes um, above and beyond sort of a traditional media mix, because it's really about having that 365 connection to your consumer. You know, I haven't had to prove the value of our social media. Certainly it helps that we've had successes in terms of driving the business. The, the most recent example is the, is the sort of like the viral TikTok campaign that just kind of like blew up. But also beyond that, we've, we've had success in creating an owned and organic community on social media that in and of itself has so much equity for our brand and our ability to tell stories on a, again, on a day-to-day level that we've been able to build out something that we believe is sort of a bedrock of our, of our brand storytelling, our brand um, interactions with the consumer. For maybe not all of our listeners who don't know about your success on TikTok, can you just give us like the 30 second elevator spiel on what went down? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. In 30 seconds, what I would say is that we very much believe in TikTok as a brand. We are a, um, a very Gen Z focused brand. We have been actively building out an owned and organic community for the better part of a year and a half on TikTok, which actually is like a long in the history. And then very recently through some of our social listening and community engagement, we discovered a viral TikTok of a very enthusiastic um, influencer who basically explained to all of her fans how the EOS shave cream is a blessing for her, sorry for the spicy language, for her effing cooch. And um, we loved it. I mean, the language, it absolutely exploded. The the original video went viral. How could we not jump on that and create a moment out of this gift that came to us from this incredible, honest and authentic influencer? So what'd you do? So bless your effing cooch. It was like the beginning of a long um, video that explains exactly in very amazing detail, actually, how do you shave your female parts? And this is a topic that typically is not something that people voluntarily speak about. And in her um, trademark colorful language, she laid out essentially it was a tutorial. I think that the, at the heart of it, it, yes, there was some incredible colorful language and antics and, and so much personality through this influencer, but also just plain old fashioned education on a topic that a lot of people were looking to find out information on. And that, that authenticity was something that was like so refreshing to us. And so what we did very quickly was we jumped on the opportunity to be able to, to thank her and thank her incredible, authentic, real, and hilarious words by rebranding with her words. So we launched a super limited edition line of products that basically, instead of saying EOS shave cream, says cooch blessing cream. Huh. 
And it literally uses word for word her directions, which were salty language, but like word for word her directions on the product as as the product usage directions. And the funny thing about all of this was that we've been trying to reach out to her through her DMs and she had been she was like flooded with DMs, I'm sure, being an influencer and she I think we got kind of like lost in her DMs and so we decided that this was going to be also not only our way of celebrating her words, but also getting her attention. So We posted a video that said, please DM us, showing the product, duetting her original video on TikTok to get her attention. And it totally worked. She finally DM'd us back, which enabled us to to be able to keep the campaign going. So then, you know, we were able to, um, to partner with her, to send her her own special limited edition set of products, to work with her, to be able to give away products to her fans, some of these limited edition products. And then um, also secure a longer term partnership where we're going to be working with her over the coming months to on this topic of demystifying the world of shaving wherever you want to shave. So it was a tremendous success. I mean, essentially, we not only got, I think, at the end of the, the tally, I think between the original video from this influencer, as well as the subsequent videos, we had like 25 million or, uh, organic impressions on TikTok. But more than that, you saw the direct, absolute direct impact on our business. Before this influencer launched her video, we were already trending at a, I would probably call it a plus 30 on our shave business. After she launched her video, our business nationally, nationally doubled, literally plus hundred percent immediately within the two weeks. I mean, the impact was absolutely immediate. And so for anybody who's looking for attribution, I'm sorry, I can't, t- I can't give you the, the data report that shows the attribution, but I think that in this case, there is definitely causation, not correlation. <laughs> between this influencer's video and our business results. I mean, immediately our, our search ranking on Amazon spiked. Like we, I think prior to um, her video launching again, down to the week, you could see the, the impact. EO shave cream may have been at around like a 300,000 rank on Amazon. We were at a 15,000 immediately. So we went from 300,000 to 15,000 overnight. Our traffic to our site was, was multiples. I mean, it, it was incredible. We immediately sold out on our site. We immediately sold out on Amazon and across all of our retail partners. We are still in a process where we're still chasing our, our supply chain to make sure that we are able to supply all of our points of distribution until our product actually sold out nationally we became the number one shave cream brand at Target, men or women. That's exceptional. Well, first of all, this is like the definition of bravery. So having you here talking about this story, I think is is bravery at its finest. One of the things that is fascinating is just hearing how excited you were that the influencer reached back out to you and the the consumer brand power struggle continues to be just fascinating to me and it's 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 been over a decade since this whole loss of the brand being the cooler part of the two is like has been going on but still that's part one Part two is if your agency or your team came to you and said we have this idea we think that this is like an underserved topic of discussion and we think we can demystify it. Like, do you think you could have gotten behind that or you needed the validation of an influencer specifically saying this product is so good. It's so good for this particular use case that it created that unlock. The story goes back even further. The story is actually that we have been a brand that has believed in social media, believed in influencer marketing, and believed in the power of authentic community-driven conversations since the beginning of our history. 
And so we have a strong belief in building out our social listening capabilities and making sure that everyone from the, you know, the most, um, the newest team member all the way to myself, we are constantly engaged on our social media reading. I read every comment. I, I do. I personally do. I, it's, it's what I do in the evenings with a glass of wine because I learned so much from what people are saying about our brand, to our brand, to each other about our products. And one of the things that we discovered um, at, I would call it probably close to a year ago, maybe even before that, was through our social listening, um, you know, myself included, we were noticing people starting to talk about it on social media, that people were shaving their private parts with our product. But guess what? We were actually not technically tested for use in that area. So about a year ago, you know, I also oversee our, our um, innovation area, our product innovation area. I, I tasked the team to say, how this year can we get testing, gynecological testing on the agenda to make sure that we can take advantage of this thing that we're starting to see through social listening? And so um, they put it in the calendar. They found this through the budget for it. We did the testing. We, we got the results. So we are now officially gynecologically tested and approved for use in your private parts. And that came through at the, I think it was sometime at like December of 2020. So when this all happened, we would not actually have been able to, from a safety regulatory perspective, been able to actually seize on this moment if we had not already been ahead of the game in social listening and preparing ourselves because we are learning so much from what we're hearing from consumers. And so I think that the number one thing I take away from this entire case study, because it really, it's a case study that has history, is that if you go back further, it's not about taking advantage of one viral moment. It's about setting up a way of operating as a team where you understand where does my consumer live? What is the value I get out of understanding my consumer innately? And how how can I take those insights and and then bring them back into the team to influence the work that we're doing? If if this had just been a viral TikTok that was funny and we weren't, for example, a brand that, you know, if we weren't a brand that was active on TikTok, if we weren't a brand that had actually been listening to the insights and therefore positioned ourselves to be able to take advantage of this, this viral moment honestly would have come and gone. But instead, we were able to seize on it. And I do think it's really important to understand that the roots of this, that the foundation of it was built long before the viral video ever showed up. So, Young, everything that you just said is a dream to me. The biggest thing that I take away that continues to be the narrative of all these brands that have the ability to disrupt, you know, the multi-billion dollar incumbents is that you've put data and insights as the heartbeat of the entire go-to-market strategy. And it isn't just being imprisoned by one team and not shared across the organization. And I think everything that you just said about like sort of the legal aspect, that's often the case why they don't do things because they're like, oh, we're never going to get past this via legal. But you actually fought the battle and now saw the benefits. I think it's pretty remarkable. You're spending all this time engaging with Gen Z. And obviously in prior jobs, you've marketed to other types of customer segments. In your mind, what's the difference when marketing to Gen Z versus millennials, baby boomers, et cetera? It really is a part of, of the conversation that we've had um, up until now in terms of a lot of the a lot of the tenets of I think how our marketing team operates is very much been clustered around who our audience is. I mean, I really believe that you, you have to understand your audience. This is this is a lesson that I've learned from my history. It's sort of like you have to know who your consumer, who your audience is 
as closely as you know your best friend. And if you do that, you can always anticipate their needs. And that, that is a lot. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of like some of the leadership in my prior company. But if you truly understand your consumer and you understand what their, their desires are, wants and needs, you can anticipate their needs and be able to deliver them before they can even envision it. Because honestly, by the time your consumer is asking for it, you may already be sort of like getting to be too late to actually deliver it in a way that gives you that sort of disruptor first mover status. In our case, specifically with Gen Z, they're, they're, first of all, they're an enormous segment and they control over $140 billion worth of spending power. You need to have a team that really appreciates this consumer as a consumer and, and really understands sort of like their trends and their behaviors. And like I, I, I've said a few times, like where they live their lives. In our case, social media obviously is a, is a really big part then of our marketing strategy and how we communicate to our consumer. But, so, but, there, but there are other ways that we communicate to our consumer as well. We, you know, we believe really strongly in online video. We believe really strongly in things like we're exploring gaming and, and kind of like where that intersection is with, with Gen Z and in particular with our, um, you know, our segment of Gen Z, which is predominantly a female consumer as well. And so some of that's starting to kind of like grow and become a new opportunity because the gaming world is, is not solely the domain of like a male audience. And so there's some really interesting things that are happening within um, the Gen Z world. But then there are also things like outside of media that really influence sort of how we approach um, overall, like things like product or, you know, how we come up with like our, our just overarching strategy, our stories or concepts, which is we have to move really fast. Yes, we plan for the long term and you have to understand what your brand strategy and what your consumer strategy and who your consumer is in a way that is not constantly kind of like shifting with the wind. But tactically speaking, you always have to leave enough room in order to be able to move fast and seize on opportunities when they present themselves. And I think that this, this you know, the Cooch Blessing Shave campaign is, is an example where, you know, we had to have a cushion. We always have a certain amount that's kind of set aside for our experimental or speed to market budget. You have to take some risks. Oftentimes that's tied to your speed because if you if you have to wait for the research results on your media or on your content come back, you're, you're probably going to have missed the moment, right? Because the, the culture is moving fast within this consumer segment. And you have to test new things. You know, I, I mentioned gaming a second ago, but it's an area that we're really interested in because there are places where our consumer is living that, you know, may have been different five years ago. You always have to leave a little room to be testing new channels, new platforms, new ways to, um, to go to market so that you are not only relying maybe where your audience was like yesterday versus where they're going into the future. And then from a brand perspective, authenticity is really key with the segment and having that authenticity in terms of like how you speak to them. I think social media is a very authentic kind of medium. And so, you know, that inherently, I think, drives sort of like how we go to that this audience, but also having purpose-driven marketing, really having things that you stand for, whether it's sustainability, um, whether it's social justice, like all of these causes are really things that this consumer cares deeply about. And they specifically say more than any other segment that they're willing to vote with their wallets to be with brands and to spend with brands that really believe in these things. And so these are all things that, you know, really are kind of core to how our team thinks about the audience in a way that I think is, you know, we're probably spending a disproportionate amount of time thinking about these things versus if we were marketing to a different demographic segment. How much of your internal marketing team is Gen Z? If we're counting the, we have many fabulous, incredible interns as well. I would probably call, I would probably call it, I'm going to say about a third or so. We have quite a few who would consider themselves millennial. I'm a firm Xer. Okay. 
Gen Xer. I had somebody who is a very well-known Gen Z expert tell me that the reason why we get along so well is because I'm basically like his mom's age. I like just about died. (laughs) I just about died. When I start realizing that like more people that work for me are closer to my daughter's age than to my age, that's when I start having these like apoplectic questioning of, am I too old to be in this industry question? So you're not alone. I consider myself a strong Gen Z sympathizer. I actually, my my um, content consumption um, and my media consumption behaviors are probably more in line with Gen Z than with uh, with, with my own age group. So my my son, who my, I have twin boys who are nine, and he says things to my my husband all the time. My husband's like, I don't know what he's saying to me. He's using these words I don't understand. And so he's he started to basically throw things at us and and yell yeet at the top of his voice. I'm like, oh, so that's just like what you shout. Oh. It's like what you shout when you like throw something at somebody. Yes. So I'm becoming the Gen Z translator for my husband. Oh, no, Yeet is big, but Yeet is actually almost out. I know. I know. I got to stay on top of my urban dictionary, guys. Yeet's almost done. (laughs) I'm the oldest millennial that ever existed at this point. Well, a third Gen Z actually passes the sniff test in my mind in terms of just how relevant your brand is. I think we're sadly at the final question. So Soyoung, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? I love that you asked this question. It also makes you feel a little bit kind of self-conscious when you talk about the bravest thing that you've ever done, because it feels a little bit like, am I, am I like bragging about this? But I, I'm going to, I'm going to um, specifically talk about something personal, personal and professional, or like, I'm going to call it the intersection of personal and professional, which is that in this last year, I've spoken more about where I came from, how I grew up and what it means to me to be a woman an immigrant and a person of color more than I ever have, I would probably say in all of the years combined in my entire career. And it was very, very uncomfortable for me. My upbringing was one in which I, I think I've always been much more comfortable with trying to figure out how to fit in versus trying to figure out how to stand out. And so speaking about my experiences personally, as a member of the Asian American community, speaking about what it means to me also to be an ally to other groups who have been through so much difficulty, not only in the past year, but before that, but invisibly. The stories that, you know, I've shared that are personal to me were very hard for me to tell. They're very, they're just so uncomfortable for me to speak um, about these personal stories. And yet I've grown more in the past year as a leader. And I think that I've learned more and gotten more out of the experience, frankly, than, than, you know, maybe I've even given and so I think that as a, um, as a leader, my, uh, my biggest piece of advice is that vulnerability um, as a leader and being able to share your stories is something that truly isn't just a gift to the people around you. It's a gift to yourself because it helps you to grow and helps you to know yourself. And I say that it's brave because of how uncomfortable it has made me feel and continues to make me feel. And yet it's something that I really hold dearly and, and it's, you know, I'm not going back. And so it, it's something that I'm really proud of from the past year of my career. Thank you for sharing this, but most importantly for sharing over the course of the past year, I think that the more we bring our whole selves to work representing everything we represent, the better off we're going to be as leaders because the more real we are and the more we can use our, our influence for contributing to a better society in general. So thank you. Thank you so much, Soyoung. 
Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming centre stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.